thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And make sure you're following us on all of our social platforms. Ashley is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Uh, I am The Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.exo on Instagram. And um, Ash has just had some huge wins that um, I just want to quickly give a little shout out and celebrate with her. Um, So first of all, you've moved to a new practice um, in Wembley in Perth, which is amazing and such an awesome collaborative space for you now ash so congratulations for that thank you no definitely a gorgeous place to be and uh to i guess fulfill all the the big picture stuff that you know you and i have when we we work with women's health we really want to be able to manifest the stuff we can imagine for everyone so yes this is the space to do it um and then i think even like more exciting i think ash um congratulations for the amazing amazing seminar that you presented on the weekend um teaching you know pregnancy and pregnancy adjusting to um like over a hundred people and you were absolutely amazing i know it was a, like a huge bucket list thing for you and you just smashed it so we had such a great time so congratulations oh, thank you are you making it sound like it's all me but this is totally all you <laughs> like, so i'm way better at celebrating your wins <laughs> <laughs> but andrea did all of the uh, incredible fertility journey for uh, the chiropractors in the room and for everyone that was on the recording so you know ladies when we talk about our passion and commitment to women's health it extends beyond you know a podcast and, and sharing it with um with all of you listening it, it 
extends to our profession. It's the desire to upskill and upgrade, um, you know, chiropractors, not just through Australia, but uh, throughout the world. And to do that, we have to get out there. And for me, it was a big step because, uh, well, anyone who's heard my journey before knows that public speaking was never my domain. But I think, you know, when your passion and your, your vision's big enough, suddenly you get out of your own road and you just get out there and start teaching. So I'm thrilled that you kind of kicked me out the backside and said, let's do this. And I'm like, yes, let's do this. So thank you. But uh, anyway, enough about us because we have got a very, very special guest sitting on the line with us today. Um, but I'm so excited to chat to her because I've kind of been a fangirl for many, many years back in the day before Aww. children, but for both of us actually. And, um, you know, this wonderful lady is someone we are thrilled to have as a guest today. So Andrew, go ahead, introduce. Oh, yeah. And Casey, thanks so much for um, just being patient with us there while we were just, you know, like giving a little shout out to all the things we did mm-hmm. on the weekend um but ladies congratulations oh yeah thank you ladies let me introduce you to such a beautiful beautiful woman casey wilson she is a naturopath and a nutritionist with over 13 years experience working with women to feel balanced and nourished heading into and throughout motherhood um casey has a special passion for supporting babies gut health to give little ones the best start to life and she offers her support through her glowing mama Sorry, Casey, that was a bit of a mouthful. Glowing Mama Thriving Bubba Mm. podcast, which is awesome. So ladies, please tune into that. Her books, her online programs, and also her one-on-one consults to optimize preconception, pregnancy, baby, and mama health. Casey's also the mama to two beautiful girls. Um, And Casey, welcome to Wellness Women Radio. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. And yeah, really, really excited to get into the chat today. Such a passion of mine, of course. Um, and we've talked a lot about gut health on the the podcast, Casey, and that's actually how we met you in the first place through Kale and through, yes. um, you know, his um, all his gut health journey and everything else. But one thing that we haven't really gone into is gut health for kids and especially for bubbers. And we haven't really um, looked into the importance of having, you know, a healthy microbiome for them and how to start them off with that best um, sort of start and best health for them through their journey. So, um, Casey, can you sort of just kick us off a little bit there? Like, why is that important and why should we be thinking about gut health for babies? Mm, Yes, such a good question. So I really like to start with saying that, yes, we know how important the, you know, the future health of our baby begins with that preconception care as the mum and dad to be. So we know that's crucial. We know it continues with that maternal nourishment um, with whatever the the mum to be is nourishing herself with, but it also is shaped really importantly with the environment that that baby is exposed to within the first two to three years of life. So that's really important to understand. I have a lot of women that come to me that are really upset because maybe they had the birth that they didn't wish for or they couldn't continue breastfeeding. But um, there's so many things that we can do within this two to three years of age um, after birth that can really set them up with a healthy microbiome. And, yes, it does start there. So with the baby's microbiome, the beneficial bacteria, and looking at their intestinal integrity. So when I say this, this means their their gut health, like the two, issue and you know we don't want a lot of inflammation in that gut wall so that's what I mean by intestinal integrity and what we need to remember first is that the gut for everyone it's home to up to 70 percent of the body's immune cells so there's gut bacteria and there's the gut bacteria metabolites that interacting all the time with the cell lining of the gut wall and the underlying immune system so uh, the immune cells so that that sort of talking is happening all of the time. So that's the real big connection between the gut and the immune system. And 
why this is important is because, yes, there's some colonization that um, begins of that gut bacteria for the bums right back in pregnancy. So we used to think that the baby was born sterile, um, but now we know that there is a bit of transfer in pregnancy. So, yes, it does start with what maybe the, the mum's having fermented foods and probiotics, so there's a bit of transfer to bubs then. And, of course, the mode of birth, we know that that plays a role. And then what they continue to do and be exposed to within those first three, three years of age because this at the age of three is when that infant gut microbiota becomes compositionally similar to that of an adult. So what that means is this is such an opportunistic time with our little ones that we can support the microbiome development through factors in our control. Like I said, there's things like, you know, the breastfeeding and, you know, avoiding antibiotics and giving probiotics if needed and letting them play in the dirt and getting exposed to pets and all these things that we can do to set them up for that robust gut health. And this therefore either positively or negatively impacts other areas of their body. So in like summary, really, we're supporting your baby's microbiome has the power to reduce the risk of disease or promote um, vibrant health for years to come. And I'll give a couple of examples. Um, so really what we're wanting um, for babies, we want predominantly bifidobacteria strains um, and that's shown with breastfeeding bubbers. That's the dominant um, the strains are dominantly bifidobacterium and that's because there's this beautiful cycle that happens. Um, the bifido strains help to break down the oligosaccharides, which is the prebiotic in breast milk. But then those prebiotics, the oligosaccharides feed the bifido and this beautiful cycle continues. And by about six months of age, the that process enables more of the organisms to flourish. So by six months of age, it's not just bifido dominance, it's lots of different strains and that's what happens from that breastfeeding and from fueling the bifido. So what we're looking at is a disruption in the development of the gut microbiome increases over time the development of immune issues, digestive issues, metabolic and inflammatory diseases. So an example there is that low bifidobacteria levels in infant's gut is linked to an elevated risk of asthma and obesity later in life. Mm -hmm. And so there is that connection that we're starting to see through research. And just another one is that um, a study that I mentioned in my baby book actually is that they did a, a study on babies with taking their infant stool samples and those that showed higher levels of two main bifido strains, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them, um, they showed better language improvement um, later when they were starting to talk. So uh, that's the connection there between the brain and the gut. Um, and then there's other, other things like, um, you know, the microbiome is a predictor for the development of the autoimmune disease, celiac disease later in life. So we know now that it's not just about our genetics, it's the environment that they're exposed to. So even though you have the gene for, for example, celiac disease, it doesn't mean you're going to get it or develop um, that. It means that if we can, you know, really promote healthy microbiome from these early ages, we can prevent that from developing. So, of course, there's lots of things like that I mentioned briefly that can impact that um, microbiome. So, yes, the mode of birth. So we know that vaginally born babies have a, a more compositionally, or they will resemble mum's gut bacteria, about 72% of it, whereas um, C-section born babies have more of that microbiome that's similar to their mum's um, 
skin microbiome and oral microbiome. However, we know that breastfeeding can turn that around within just a couple of weeks. So just by simply breastfeeding, um, if a mum is a bit down about having a C-section delivery, um, breastfeeding can really um, promote that um, bifido, those bifido strains again. So we know those things um, play a role. We know skin to skin over time can help with bubbers microbiome. We know, of course, as I've mentioned, breastfeeding because of that beautiful cycle of feeding the oligosaccharides, the oligosaccharides feeding the bifido. And we know that things that can negatively impact that microbiome like antibiotics, unfortunately, um, even just one dose of antibiotics can increase the risk of children after six developing asthma um, later in life and the more frequent the antibiotics the higher that risk is. So um, any of this research too, by the way, I can um, provide and you can pop it in the show notes if you like. Um, so we know that in that case, probiotics can play a really good role to help the help the prevent the risk of those um, issues happening after, you know, the, the organisms growing back, the pathogenic organisms growing back after having antibiotics. So then needing more antibiotics down the track. Um, so probiotics can stall that from happening. They can repair that inflammation and the damage from antibiotics, and they can just modulate that immune function over time. So that that's something positive that we can bring in. But I will say, if we're looking at probiotics for bubbles, they do need to be very strain specific. It's not just any probiotic out there um, because they do need that predominantly um, they do need to predominantly be their bifidobacteria strains um, there. So areas like um, if things like colics showing, reflux, diarrhea, constipation, or they are C-section born or um, a formula fed bubba, that's the times, or if they've given the antibiotics, of course, they're the times that I'd be recommending looking at some probiotics to positively impact. And I did quickly mention too, getting out in the dirt, playing, outside that has shown to, posit to positively impact the microbiome development too. Um, so getting them outside, but I will mention that you want to be careful of where they're playing in the dirt and make sure that it's not where the council's just gone and sprayed glyphosate. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a few considerations there. Um, and of course, do not hand sanitize your baby because that's going to be stripping away the good bacteria. And um, also, of course, anything we put on our skin will get into the bloodstream and there's some really nasty ingredients in in hand sanitizers so that's just something else to think about there um, so yeah we do want to be really promoting baby's microbiome because of that first particularly first three years of age can really set them up for their health for many years to come so it's really exciting uh, and Casey, that, amazing. that was amazing. I've just, I've actually just taken a bunch of notes there as well. <laughs> and one of my questions was going to be like, you know, how, what signs would we look for? But you covered that, you know, things like mm. colic and reflux, diarrhea, constipation. And then even if they are just a formula fed barb or if they were C-section or have had any antibiotic exposure, I'd be looking at those things. Um, that was a really awesome um, little summary. Thank you. Sorry, Ash, I interrupted you there. It's all good. No, I was just I was just smiling, just saying how, you know, clinically relevant that is for all of us who work in women's healthcare with children mm -hmm. and babies in our practices. And um, I loved what you said about, you know, the microbial diversity and the importance of that. And I was having a conversation um, last week with someone how we were talking about, you know, historically um, that the village fed the babies. So we mm -hmm. had this beautiful, broad, diverse microbiome because it wasn't just one mother who may or may not be well or unwell. It was multiple women potentially wet feeding babies, all sorts of babies 
babies. And so we had this beautiful diversity, which um, which was, I guess, a, a reflection of the biological driver for survival, right? This is mm. how we made stronger, healthier children. And we don't do that uh, as much anymore. I don't think you find too many women would say that they would uh, share feeding of children or families. Mm. Some women do, which is amazing. And I, to be fair, I'd love to <laughs> love to be part of that tribe. But um, for the women who who I know we we sort of get a lot of mum guilt, right? And particularly if breastfeeding is a challenge and we can't provide that breast milk, and we've just outlined all these incredibly important reasons um, why a baby, you know, benefits from breast milk, why it does set the foundations for a healthy microbiome. What are some of your suggestions to those mums? Because I know, you know, mum guilt's a big deal, and I definitely work day in and day out with women who are unfortunately really have no option but to use formula i know i don't know where you know you are in uh, south australia there but in wa it's becoming more um resourceful and we're starting to see like milk banks women sharing mm. breast milk and starting to you know help women out when they've had challenges and they might be hospitalized while their baby's in NICU and they and i'm just like there's there's this awareness now it seems like there's a change and, and women are really understanding this concept what do you suggest i guess to help yeah. women who are struggling with that guilt of like oh i'm not helping my baby get the best yeah well just like you mentioned that there are options now and it is really beautiful to see there's a Facebook group that you can look up depending on where you are and that's human milk for human babies and that is in your area who's who's able to donate milk and so that would be the first thing to do if you absolutely can't produce anything if you can even just mix feed yourself that's still beneficial because they're still getting getting that breast milk but next would be yeah looking for a donor um, and then next Best would be looking at things like um, if you can't can't get a donor milk, then um, looking at probiotics to add into their into their bottles and getting them out and doing all of these things like skin to skin that that we can do to help promote um, you know microbiome development. Otherwise, um, but yeah, I would say probiotics would be a really important one if you can't get any breast milk into the into the bubba. Um, but you did mention a really good point there with um, if you are able to you know have breast milk for your bubba or multiple types of breast milk from different women, um, this beautiful protective. Um, process I guess you call it happens where um, uh, mum produces these antibodies and those antibodies are passed into the bubba's um, you know gut and then into the bloodstream to give them this immunity so it is yeah just another reason why breast milk is good but um, yeah there are options for those mums that can't breastfeed so it's nice to see yeah human milk for human babies would be one to start with on Facebook. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, Casey, mm. in the instance um, where maybe um, the mums can't either for some reason breastfeed or um, can't use donor milk, if they are using formula, are there certain things that you look for in the in the formula as, you know, a better option than others? Yeah. Am I able, able to say brands or? I don't see why not. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one that I would say would be more superior than a lot of the others and that's Little Oak Company. They use... Mm. Um, goat's milk but it's um cold pressed so the processing is very minimal and so that's one thing so then then um you know goat's milk itself is easier to digest um so there's less you know intolerances for bubbers and allergenic you know symptoms um because that's one thing that can um, unfortunately happen is bubbers can react to the actual breast milk uh, sorry the actual formula itself so yeah little oak is goat's milk and it's cold pressed and they use um 
there is a little bit of, uh, now it's escaped me, um, the fats that they're using for um, a flax meal. So that they use some flax oil instead of palm oil as well. So um, that would be the number one that I, I can see on the market at this time. Yeah, great. Thank you. And then once we get past sort of that area, that that sort of time of infancy and when we want to start bringing foods um, in for bub, Casey, at what time would you introduce foods initially? What signs would you look for? Is there like a um, hard and fast rule, like all babies should be um, introducing solids at five months or what's your recommendation there? Yeah, so I've got some, I guess before we look at that, I would say there's some factors that I like Mm -hmm. to consider. And the first thing is just looking at like as a naturopath, and I'm sure you girls are the same as chiropractors, you see a lot of childhood conditions being presented and and not just the children themselves coming in as patients, but just coming along with their parents to to, um, their consults. And so I've seen over the years so many of these conditions like asthma and eczema and um, autoimmune conditions and autism, they're on the rise. And we need to start asking why, why is this happening? And yes, there's more toxins, you know, toxic exposures on the, the rise, but nutritional deficiencies are too. And so that's when I start to say, why, why is this happening and what can we do about it? And the first, apart from what we've talked about already, um, what we can look at is the foods that are being provided for bubs, especially those first foods. And so we know modern day baby solid food recommendations are unfortunately inflammatory forming and the nutrient deplete. So we need to come back to that, remembering that this age is that opportunistic time to support baby's microbiome and we can do that as well through the foods we choose. Um, So a few considerations I guess we'd firstly make is that breast milk is still first or or formula if that's what they're on then that needs to be their first um, you know the sole nutrition until the age of at least 12 months and the research is showing that breastfeeding alongside if you can do that can reduce the risk of allergy development so keep that um, breast milk in there shouldn't reduce you know that shouldn't be reduced um, because you're bringing in in solid foods Um, the first consideration um, I do make is encouraging that healthy microbiome of course and supporting baby's natural gut maturation so what I mean by that is babies are born with this open gut and I, I won't call it leaky gut because that's kind of what I feel like is developed from not doing the right things but open gut is is that leakiness naturally to allow those antibodies that I was talking about before from mum's milk in in through their in through their gut and into the bloodstream. And that's how they have that protective mechanism there. And so that will naturally close up around the age of six to nine months. And so that's when babies, you know, showing signs their gut and immune system is maturing. And that's a good time to look at introducing solids. So most people say six months. Um, so if you do that too quickly, so say if you look at look at um, bringing in foods before that gut's sort of closed up, then that will contribute to undigested foods passing into the bloodstream and that could potentially you know look at things like immune responses occurring so uh, we want to really honor that process and deciding to introduce solids sort of after that time and that will help to avoid the leaky gut which develops later um, prevent the inflammation prevent food intolerances and immune challenges and really optimize that digestion and nutrient absorption so that's the first kind of thing that i'd like to think about and then of course we need to look at the nutrition so as um 
breast milk, the iron in breast milk drops off around six months of age. So the first foods that we want to be looking at, we want to be thinking iron. And of course, there's the two forms of iron. There's the heme sources from animal heme iron from animal sources and non-heme iron from plant sources, but we do know that heme iron is superior in absorption and that's also over fortified iron as well. So the common example we think about is the rice cereal that's promoted as the first food because it's fortified with iron, so it must be really healthy. Um, however, it does impact the ability to absorb other minerals. So it contains something called phytic acid. So it's not only not well absorbed in terms of the iron that's in there, but it contains the phytic acid and that can impact the absorption of other minerals like zinc. And we know zinc is hugely important for bubba's growth, their gut lining health, their immune system, their brain health among so much more. So if we think about it just naturally, what foods contain that heme iron naturally and also some other really important cofactors like B12 and zinc. And so we think about foods like perhaps slow-cooked beef in broth or maybe some liver, especially chicken liver and egg yolks. And so they're kind of unconventional if we're looking at the, the conventional recommendations, but they make sense when we look at this nutritionally. And so eggs also, they're a fantastic source of choline, which is really important for Bubba's central nervous system development. So that is a, a, one of the first foods that I do recommend is egg yolks for that reason. Um, so these are nutrient-dense, pure superfoods naturally. And instead of looking at foods as just filling them up, like um, you know, rice cereal would fill them up, but they're not going to be, those foods aren't going to contain those those nutrients naturally and in the natural form of course they're easier to absorb as well and when we're choosing those foods from scratch we're also supporting their natural detoxification so if we think about all of those nutrients that are in those foods naturally so for example the amino acids in in beef or in liver that can naturally help the detoxification um, but quality is important not all foods are the same we know that so if we're just looking at the example of say eggs um eggs laid by cage-raised chickens as opposed to chooks that have been raised on scratching the around in the dirt and in the sunshine, there's going to be a difference in quality of the nutrition of the eggs. So the ones that have been pasture-raised, those, those chooks will lay eggs that have brighter orange yolk, and we know that's a bit of an indication of greater amounts of vitamin A in there, so that fat-soluble vitamin, which is also really important for bubbers. So quality is important. Um, another factor that I look at is enhancing their digestion. So things like purposeful sourcing of food. So when we're looking at, for example, avocados, which is another really nice first food for bubbers, if we're choosing ones when we're getting them from the supermarket, and I know people hate, hate doing it, but if you can just slightly squeeze them, and if they're a little bit soft, then those ones will contain more lipase, which is the enzyme that helps to break down fats. And if we're looking at bananas, the same thing, if they're, they're a little bit spotted, then that can um, that's an indication they have higher levels of amylase, which is the enzyme that helps to break down the banana. Um, so that's a couple of little tips there. You can source foods that are easy to digest, and then we can prepare them in certain ways as well. So for example, fermenting and soaking can help to break down um, the foods. And it's also another reminder too to not rush into the introduce, uh, introduction of certain foods. So I can't remember if I mentioned it before, but um, at before the, before the age of one, babies actually won't be producing the digestive enzymes for digesting cereals. And 
this is why another reason why it doesn't make sense to be pushing rice cereal so young and even other foods like wheat um, because they don't have those digestive enzymes to break it down and so if we're looking at that gut lining then that can indicate that can lead to a little bit more of that inflammation and the leakiness which we're trying to avoid so that's just a little example there on like sourcing foods to help their digestion and of course we want to look at their well-being as well we want to give them respect we want to have clear communication we want to tune into those signs so we know if they've had enough or need some more or we want to sit down and enjoy that meal time with them um, I know it's it's hard especially now that I've got two girls it's a it's a trick it's a tricky um, thing to do is to sit down and enjoy that meal but um, if they can see you, sitting down, chewing your food, enjoying that process, then that's creating a beautiful long-term healthy habit around eating. So I think that is important as well to consider. So that I know that doesn't really answer the question of when, but that's, I think, firstly, it's really important to understand that there's important considerations to make. So if we look at exactly when to introduce foods, the the research at the moment is showing is indicating sort of after 17 weeks just before six months um that actually that's not the most recent research but that's the research that the guidelines are going by at this stage however i just say don't get caught up in the the numbers game so as i've just mentioned you know that closing of the gut can happen between six to nine months so you know you don't want to be rushing in into that but I think firstly is tuning into your baby and their milestones of readiness so things like good head and neck control obviously that's going to avoid things like risk of choking but if they also have that good trunk strength so if they can sit up unassisted especially within the high chair I actually do recommend they can sit up unassisted anyway but especially in the high chair that can reduce the risk of choking but it's also showing it as you'd know, as chiropractors, if they're physically those muscles are stronger on the outside and helping them sit up, then the muscles of digestion are going to be more developed as well and ready for those solid foods. So we've got to think about that as well. And, and now that'll assist the peristalsis and prevent things like constipation from occurring as they're bringing in those solid foods. We want them to be intrigued and interested and really wanting that food. So we want them to be curiously watching your food from your plate to your mouth. Like they want some of that and really showing interest by reaching out and opening their mouth, mimicking your eating as well, um, being able to hold onto a spoon and wrap their mouth around the spoon. If you do offer them something, you want them to be opening their mouth and wanting that food and able to move that food from the front of their back, the front of their tongue to the back of their tongue to like swallow off of that spoon. We do ideally want them to be free of colic symptoms as well because if you can imagine if they're already upset and a bit irritable from perhaps something that's in, in through your milk or the formula, then you're adding foods on top of that and you really don't know what is what they're digesting well and what they may be on top of that reacting to, right? So we, if, if we can sort that colic out first, that's going to be really helpful going forward. And we want them to be able to say, no, I've had enough. Now, whether that's baby sign language, some parents are doing that, or just tuning into things like them turning their head or pursing their lips or placing their hand up or throwing the food on the ground, whatever it is that they can say no. So we want some kind of indication that they've had enough because at this stage they're not talking. So really every bubba is individual and it's important to tune into your bubbers, watch them closely to really see if they're ready for that food. But also 
when they're ready for that food, every baby's appetite is going to be different as well. So we need to also honour that and not like push the foods if they're, they're really not wanting any more. You've got to respect that and they will show signs of readiness eventually. So I'll give you an example there with my two girls. My first, Amelia, just ate anything that I gave her. She woofed it down straight off the spoon and didn't even want to play with it. She just wanted it in her mouth. Whereas Elkie, my second, she's been more like exploring her food and just a little bit dainty with eating. And only just now, which is a week into um, seven months, then she's really like getting into it. So if I was just pushing her from the start, it's she wasn't ready. So you do need to tune in and understand every baby is different as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a bit about when. <laughs> I love all that advice, Casey. And I think it's so important because parents, you know, there's so much conflicting information. It's so confusing. Yeah. And we go, you know, just um, start with purees. I know in my household, we've gone with the baby led weaning sort of approach. Mm. Um, first foods for both my children was a grass fed, grass finished lamb cutlet that they just sucked until it was dry. Um, you know, and then roasted sweet potato and avocado. What were the first foods you used with your children? Because I think mum just want to know, like, what did we start with? What, what did you use? Yeah, so we started both my girls on um, broth first. So mm. that was off the spoon. So I know there's a bit of controversy, I guess, over purees or spoon feeding and baby led weaning as well. I recommend to just go with whatever resonates whatever with you. Works. But mm-hmm. we personally, we went with both. So we did yeah. a bit of both. So, yeah, broth off the spoon, cod liver oil, um, liver, so slightly like grated and slightly cooked in some coconut oil or lard and mixing mixing that into the broth and giving that. Um, and then looking at oh, what did we do from there? Uh, cod liver oil, liver, broth, lard, coconut oil, egg yolk, of course, egg yolk for that iron and then moving on to some slow-cooked um, meats and avocado, banana, carrot cooked in broth. Um, yeah, that was sort of the first main foods, but um, we did, certainly didn't do all of that at once. It was a, a slow, slow process, but that would be sort of the first up until now with LQ, what we've given her. Um, yeah, so that's that's a very unconventional approach, but I would do, you definitely say don't get caught up in puree versus um, finger foods. Do a bit of both. Yeah, I think did that answer the question? I can't even remember yeah, what that was. It now. did um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, that was um, just such a really great. You covered so many of our questions there, Casey, which was amazing. And um, I, it's not often that I take notes when we're. <laughs> when we're interviewing um, someone, but I literally have been taking notes this whole time. Like you've shared such amazing information with us there, um, Casey. And I feel like, you know, we could keep this conversation going for, for hours. So we may have to um, organize another, um, <laughs> another time to sit down and, and really unpack this in a lot of detail. But I love that you've given us some really good practical advice there. And also you've shared with the listeners um, some of those really great cues and mm. um, some really great information about the timing and those developmental milestones. And it's not just a one size fits all um, for parents. So I think that that's awesome. Thank you. Um, Casey, where can our listeners find out more about you? Yes, well, across on Instagram, I'm glowingmama.thrivingbubba, and that's mama, M-U-M-M-A, glowingmama.com for just all of my support and blog, and you can get to the podcast from there, which is also Glowing Mama Thriving Bubba. Um, Andrew's been on, on. I'll have to um, bring invite you on to Ash. And 
if today you've, you know, that sparked a few questions for you, you do have a bubble or maybe you're pregnant and listening and want to know more about the approach that I take, I do have that baby book called Thriving Bubba and it includes, you know, introducing solids and, you know, if things come up like colds and constipation and just natural approach to supporting babies in general, um, head across to thrivingbubba.com and if you use code wellness today, that'll give you a special price. Oh, amazing. And we'll certainly pop all of those um, uh, notes in the um, show description as well so that um, you can just click on those directly. Um, Casey, thanks so much for your time, Dylan, sh- sharing such awesome information um, with our with our beautiful community here. And I would definitely encourage everyone to go and have a listen to your podcast. So the Glowing Mama Thriving Bubba. I got it right that time as much. Rolled off the tongue then. <laughs> Uh, so everybody thank you again to Casey Wilson and you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio we are the Wellness Women Dr Ashley Bond and Dr Andrea Huddleston we are raising the bar for women's health and until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.